Welcome to God in the Ordinary, a podcast featuring special guests talking about how they reveal God during the ordinary rhythm of their daily life. Presented by author and speaker Sharon Tedford. My guest today focuses on caring for the whole of creation. She's eager for fellow Christians to recognise the responsibility we each have to steward what God has given us as we protect our planet and our neighbours. My guest, a Russia-USA ecologist, Brittany Mikowski. Brittany, it's really lovely to have you with us. We've never met before and I'm so excited to chat with you. Tell us where you are today on our podcast. Thank you, Sharon. It's great to be with you. I am in Sparta, Wisconsin. So tell us where that is in America for our listeners who are not sure. Wisconsin is in the upper Midwest. We are bordered by Lake Superior to the north and Lake Michigan to the east. And actually, the Mississippi River is just about 25 miles to uh, the west of where I live. So surrounded by big water. And I can tell you, everybody, it's utterly beautiful. I've never been, but we have some very good friends who are from Michigan who always say, you need to go. It's so gorgeous. It's not Dallas, that's for sure. Right, Brittany? (laughs) No, and it's quite chilly today. Yes, so here we are now in November and it's cold up there. We are complaining because it's going to be 69 degrees in Dallas and we all feel cold. I know you're laughing right now, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Get a life and put on a jumper, right? That's how it works, a sweater, a jumper. So, Brittany, we always start our shows by asking our guests to tell us a reflection on Isaiah 61 because that's a really important passage of scripture that helps us know how we can live our lives revealing God. Could you share your reflection with us, please? Thank you so much for the opportunity. As an ecologist and someone who loves gardens, certain verses from Isaiah 61 catch my eye. For example, the last verse captures the delightful mystery of God's promises. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Miraculously, we plant seeds into good soil, which births and nourishes the new life of flowers, trees, tasty food, and the vines that supply grapes for choice wine. Just as we wait expectantly for garden seeds to spring forth from the ground, we wait eagerly for God's righteousness and praise to spring up for the whole world to experience. With Arasha USA, I develop materials for people to love their place. I labor for the conservation of marine ecosystems, and I educate on what Christians can do about the climate crisis. What I read in Isaiah 61 is that all things matter to God, restoring dignity to every human, creating flourishing societies, and reconciling all of creation to himself. Jesus, who declares himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, invites us into a ministry of reconciliation. The creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. I long for the year of the Lord's favor to arrive fully for all of creation, not least to witness the redemption of a culture that pushes us to consume, 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 loving and spending money for fulfillment, with no regard for the terrible consequences our collective appetite has on our human and non-human neighbors around the world. 
I see in Isaiah 61 a distinct earthiness to God's salvation. God promises rebuilt and refurbished cities, large flocks of livestock, fields of grain and lush vineyards, eating and drinking and land that is positively bursting with abundance. God's favor looks like the arrival of the new Jerusalem, the kingdom come on earth. When I read Isaiah 61, I see God's continued invitation to the body of Christ to hunger for right living and relationships with all creation until Jesus comes again and satisfies our yearning for shalom. Well, Brittany, from listening to your reflection, I get the feeling that you love nature and creation. So where did that love come from? I really think that a big part of my love for God's creation is from my upbringing. As a small child, uh, my family would go fishing in the summer on the Wisconsin River, and we would play on the sandbars all day and We even would take vacations up to Canada for fishing trips uh, when I was in high school and just kind of being soaked in love of the outdoors and watching the sunset from the boat. You know, just that personal connection uh, during foundational years of, of growing up, I think, was really a big part of it for me. And another piece was in college when I began to make the connection of... God actually made this world and God made it for his pleasure and how amazing that was that everything around me, uh, the air we breathe, water we drink, uh, the mountains, the valleys, the ocean depths, all of it, God knows it very, very well. There was that added spiritual depth as I was growing in my faith as well in college. That's a good point. Do you think it might be difficult for people who live in cities and suburban areas to connect with God through nature? I think the personal connection is very important. However, there's other ways to connect, like nature documentaries or even just visiting local parks. You know, many cities have green space, although, you know, there may be other challenges to accessing that green space. There might be issues of safety or maybe it's just a a playground. But there is nature in the city. It's just a little bit harder to find. Yeah, that's right. I think we need to, as a friend of mine would say, look up because there's always sky wherever we are. And we can find God's nature and God by looking up and seeing clouds and birds and all of that. But thanks for saying that, you know, sometimes the green spaces are available, but they're not very safe. So yes, be careful, but look out for God through nature. Brittany, we had a little chat before we came on today. Why did you settle on marine ecosystems and not something different? Actually, uh, working for Arasha USA, that was the way that I got involved in, in marine ecosystems. I didn't study marine biology, but there's so many interconnections between life on land and life at sea. It was really appealing to me. There's, there's so much mystery about the ocean depths there's so much to discover and explore. And you know, human society is very much connected to the ocean, to the fish and all of the things that we harvest from the ocean, but also the oxygen that we breathe, most of it comes from algae out at sea. And so the ocean is a 
the lung of the planet. As, as many people say, the rainforests are the lung, so is the ocean. And our marine ecosystems are in need of protection and restoration. And so there's lots of opportunities for looking at the ways, for example, plastic pollution is impacting marine life as well as humans, um, people going to the beach, for example. And so um, the marine protection and marine conservation is a key part of what Arasha USA does. And I actually moved to Florida for a while to, to take part. What did you do when you were in Florida? I worked with our marine conservation science lead, Dr. Robert Sluka, and we would do all sorts of very fun and eye-opening activities. We studied plastic pollution at uh, beaches, and so we looked for microplastics, which are just little small chunks of plastic that are five millimeters in size or smaller. So we would take sand from the beach, we would collect it and then sieve it out to find the microplastics and then study, you know, are there differences between how many microplastics are on the protected beaches versus the unprotected ones. We're just starting to wrap that up now, so I can't tell you for sure what the answer is. Um, we also did surveys of a pre-production plastic resin pellet. It's basically the building block of all plastic products. They are created as these little lentil-sized beads and then shipped around the world to manufacturing sites to be melted down and then cast into everything. Bottles, car parts, anything. Every plastic item you could name started as a nurdle. And so they, in transport or at the manufacturing sites, they sometimes escape into the environment or they're polluted sort of intentionally um, or nobody's really looking and so they they end up out in the ocean or along railroad tracks and animals think that they're food for example they've been found in the stomachs of sea turtles and fish not sure if you saw the sort of recent a major cargo ship went down they're calling it one of the worst environmental disasters of the century and the beach was just meters high in these nurdles so we look at nurdle pollution, um, and then we also did things with wildlife. So we surveyed uh, for horseshoe crabs during the mating season on the Indian River Lagoon, and they loved to reproduce when it was really windy and really cold. So we would be out there and the wind would be screaming, and we'd be counting these horseshoe crabs that would come up on the beaches by the tens of thousands. And we also do other restoration projects like mangrove planting and oyster reef restoration. So there's lots of opportunities in, in Florida for working to restore ecosystems or habitats that have uh, been degraded. It's very interesting. Horseshoe crabs, I first met them on vacation on holiday in Florida one year. I'd never seen one before and it was a dead one, so it was empty. But oh my goodness, it was so fun looking at it. It's like something prehistoric. So if you don't know what it is, go and have a look. Google that. Find the image of a horseshoe crab. They're amazing. Brittany, I want to know why you're driven to do this. Why should Christians be interested in caring for creation and protecting and maybe even restoring the environment? Nurdles are so tiny. Why should we bother about them? It's a really great question because sometimes it feels like there's so many things that God wants us to do. How could we add another thing to our list? You know, we're supposed to care for our neighbor and all of these things, but really it's, it's about the opportunity. It's about the invitation that 
God, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, is inviting us into a ministry of reconciliation, and that reconciliation knows no bounds. The Lausanne movement, uh, the Cape Town commitment, says that creation care is a gospel issue under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, as Christ followers, this caring for the environment, caring about clean air, clean water, uh, about clean beaches for taking our families on holiday or vacation, it isn't separate from our faith. It's actually God inviting us to consider that Jesus has reconciled to himself all things, like it says in Colossians 1. As ministers of reconciliation, we too can participate in the reconciling of all things, our relationship with creation, as well as our relationship with other people and with ourselves and and with God. And so it's a whole package deal. It's not, you know, asking to add something to the list, but to see that God has has invited us into his project of reconciling all things. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? It's really important for us to think on those levels. You mentioned the Cape Town document. Tell us a bit more about that. It's called the Cape Town Commitment. So the Lausanne movement, uh, for those that aren't familiar, was uh, founded by Billy Graham and John Stott in 1974. And it's essentially a convening of world evangelicals. And the Cape Town commitment came out of their meeting at Cape Town, South Africa in 2010. And so it's a big, long document with tons of inspiring commitments of faith. And one of those is to creation care. It's one of the commitments that they identified as being important moving forward for world evangelization. And it's available online. Uh, Maybe we can provide a link to that. Of course. Yeah, we'll do that. It's an important document for Christians around the world. So you said creation care should be part of our world evangelization. How on earth are those two things connected? If we think of evangelism as sharing the good news, we can then consider that the good news is actually about all of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, which was, of course, absolutely reconciling us individually to Jesus, paying that price and creating the way for us to be in right relationship with God again. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is that Jesus' work on the cross also created the way for relationships with ourselves to be healed. We would see ourselves as children of God, freed from the curse that was pronounced in Genesis 3. We also are able to have reconciled relationships with one another. The same passage, we also saw the breakdown of the relationship between Adam and Eve, that Adam blamed his wife for giving him the fruit. Some people call it the first uh, marital argument of history. (laughs) And then, of course, there's the cursing of the ground and the toil and the sweat and the hardship that we would face in just trying to feed ourselves. And so all of those relationships that were broken at the fall are healed at the resurrection and new life available through Jesus. So when we talk about sharing the good news, we're not actually just talking about that you can be right with God. It's the whole cosmos has been reconciled to God. And when Jesus returns someday, we will see all of that in full. 
Yes, thank you. That is really great, really great thoughts and things that we really do need to dig into a bit more for ourselves and think about that. Think about how our relationship with ourselves has been healed and our relationship with others has been healed if we will seek reconciliation between us, other people and also creation. You're listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Brittany Mikowski. Brittany, I know that there are inequalities that are caused by climate change. Can you speak to those for us? Yeah, climate change is a justice issue in many ways. The countries and the corporations that are responsible for the bulk of those harmful greenhouse gas emissions are typically not the ones that are experiencing the damage caused. It's typically nations and people that have contributed the least. So like those nations in the Pacific Islands, they are experiencing sea level rise and seawater encroachment. They're literally losing their homes, but they had nothing to do with global warming. So it's an injustice that they are suffering um, that as Christians, we should be thinking about, you know, as people who want to seek justice. That's just uh, one example. That's a really good example to think about that. So how can we, as Christians, address those inequalities? I can't travel to that island. What can I do to help with that? That's a really great question because climate change is sort of uh, an invisible problem, right? Greenhouse gas emissions are invisible to the naked eye. We can't see the atmosphere changing, you know, changing color or whatever. Um, it's not like deforestation where you can see a before and after photo and say, yeah, this is very straightforward. Uh, climate change is a, it's a nebulous problem that it's it's so vast it's kind of hard to to grasp but more and more we're able to see how climate change is impacting for example storms that occur anyway hurricanes typhoons that sort of thing but actually to be able to attribute climate change for making them stronger and so we know that we definitely want to take action we want to do something to halt climate change and as Christians, I think one of the most important things we can do, and lots of other people talk about this as well, particularly Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is now the chief scientist at the Nature Conservancy. She's a, an evangelical Christian and a climate scientist. And she talks all the time about how actually talking about climate change is one of the most powerful things that we can do. The most recent Yale program on climate communication, they did a national survey showing that six out of 10 Americans rarely or never talk about climate change with their family or friends. But half of us have actually personally experienced the effects of global warming. I've heard stories of Christians who feel kind of alone because they care about climate change, but they don't really know other Christians who do. But they actually aren't alone at all. If we start talking and connecting with one another about how we care about climate change because we love God and love our neighbors, we will begin to actually change our communities and affect change at larger levels. And so really talking about it is a great first step. 
Well, that's really simple. Really, really simple. We can all do that. We can all talk about it. We could all maybe come to our local churches and say, how can we have a lower carbon footprint? What can we do to have lower carbon living? Do you have any suggestions for us about what we can do to live maybe in our families as well as in our churches in a way that is lower carbon living? For those who are in the U.S., we have Climate Stewards USA, which is a program of Arasha USA and is connected with Climate Stewards based in the U.K. So there's a couple of organizations here that people could connect with, either an individual level or at a church level. So Climate Stewards has a program called 360 Carbon. If you go to climatestewards.org for those in the UK, uh, you can access this tool right now and your congregation can work on their carbon footprint and all of the, you know, the food that's used and any waste produced and to be able to take a look at that and then figure out ways to lower it. We will have that tool, 360 Carbon, available here in the United States in a couple of months. So definitely be on the lookout for that. So looking forward to having that available. Another really big thing is is just connecting with organizations, you know, for those individuals who are looking to connect. Um, Arasha USA has a program called Love Your Place. We actually gather together online fairly regularly. We have been doing a book club on Dr. Catherine Hayhoe's latest book called Saving Us, A Climate Scientist Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. And this is just a great resource to connect with other Christians and talk about what you're experiencing and find resources, find connections that can help you to live more in line with your beliefs. So to live more environmentally friendly uh, for many of us, that is a top priority. There's other organizations as well uh, here in the U.S., like the Evangelical Environmental Network and Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Those are great places to go to learn a little bit more about the policy level, state and national policies to enact stronger climate change legislation that'll be good for people and the country. So those are, you know, a couple of organizations that people can connect with. But like you said, Sharon, and just talking with people in our church is a great place to start. Um, it might not be something that churches have really thought about yet. And you know, just knowing that there are people who care and there's there's so many resources um, out there, particularly on the internet. Um, yeah, there's lots of ways to, to start. We're going to have lots and lots of show notes this week. So please do go to our website, 61-things.com forward slash Gitto. You'll be able to find all of these resources in the show notes. Go and find them. This is really, really helpful, Brittany. Thank you. I was actually on tour in the UK leading worship at a seaside church and they were announcing that next week they were having a bring and share dinner but they said very clearly we are working really hard to keep our carbon footprint down so please only bring your food on a plate that you will take home afterwards we're not asking you to bring disposable plates we want to try and look after the environment which is really 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 good thing to see and what a great witness to people who might have been visiting who don't know Jesus to see believers taking care of what God is given us. I want to be able to do that better here in our home and in our church. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was really, it really struck me. Do you think that that's a good witness to people who are not believers to see the church who maybe sometimes can't really afford to do sometimes what is expensive, you know, lowering their carbon footprint? Do you think that's a good witness to people around? 
Absolutely. There's more and more understanding of our human interconnectedness with the environment from a from a scientific perspective and to see the church to see Christians understanding that through our own particular lens to see that our interconnectedness is something good that was created by God and something to be celebrated that's huge for opening up the opportunity to have conversations you know to show that we are listening and we are in tune with the the world um, you know you don't have to check your brain at the door when you walk into a church there's so much between science and faith that is compatible that the two are not in war with one another but are complementary in so many ways something simple through a shared meal and being aware of the environmental impact of our everyday life is so important because it's through the ordinary, it's through the everyday that we often experience God and connection to God's love through scripture, through conversation and laughter and worship and, and sitting at the seaside. I think that that's very powerful. Yeah, science and faith are complementary. If that doesn't make you cheer, then I don't know what will. <laughs> I love to hear that. I hear so many people who say that they need to be separated and they really don't. Our God created science. We are just discovering what he's already created. Brittany, before we go, many of us will have been seeing on the news about the COP26 that happened recently in the UK. What did you learn or what did you discover from that climate change conference? Was there anything that shocked you? Anything that brought you joy? I wasn't there myself in person, but had many colleagues who were there. The most surprising perhaps is just the energy. The number of people who showed up despite COVID-19 and the restrictions and the difficulties of travel associated with that, that they made it such a priority to show up. And that's Christians and non-Christians. That was really a hopeful thing that the world more and more is paying attention. I know that for some, there was disappointment with you know, a lack of really firm outcomes, but I think that it's important to continue to see this as a way for countries around the world to participate in, in a process. Um, for many countries, it's their only avenue for affecting change. And so I think it's important that we continue to advocate for majority world nations to be able to be present and to have their voices heard. And I think that it's a mechanism, yeah, it, it it's not over yet. So many people came and left feeling exhausted and hopeful and and wanting to see what happens next. And I think that that's, that's a really good word is that we, we can continue to be expectant that the, the world as a whole will continue moving forward. And uh, I look forward to seeing the ways that Christians in particular continue to be involved in the process. Yeah, no, that's a good word. To use the word expectant, that's a really good word to end on. You know, we often hear very negative things about climate change and about all the things that are going down and down and how bad it's getting. But you're right, we can be expectant. We can turn up with energy and bring the truth of Jesus into this part of science, into this part of the reality in which we live. You said at the very end of your 
reflection way back at the beginning that we are all yearning for shalom. And I really think this is a great way for us to join in with that. Seeking shalom peace for us with Jesus, shalom peace with our friends and our neighbors, and also finding peace for the creation that God has given us. Brittany, it's been so lovely to talk with you. Thank you for your wisdom. We've loved having you. Thank you so much, Sharon. I've very much enjoyed talking with you. You've been listening to God in the Ordinary with me, Sharon Tedford, and my guest, Brittany Mikowski. Go to arosha.us to find out how you can become a good steward of our climate. Producer is Gary Dell, and this is a Wise Word Radio 61 Things co-production. Go to 61-things.com to tell us how you reveal God in the Ordinary.